This is Dave Brock, and welcome to the Partners in Excellence podcast. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak with John Golden and Eric Kwanstrom of Pipeliner CRM about the high cost of salespeople. I think lots of times we don't recognize the, the investment that we're making in salespeople and understand uh, the return that we expect to get. You know, when we look at salespeople, it's really not the cost of their salaries and commissions and, and those kinds of things, but we're making a multi-million dollar investment. And we need to m- make sure that we're maximizing the return on that investment. Listen as John, Eric, and I talk about various aspects of it from hiring and recruiting to onboarding to training to coaching and performance management. I hope you enjoyed the the discussion as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Thanks so much. It is sales chats. That's right. Here we are, Eric and John. Yeah, and uh, actually on a rainy San Diego day, and we haven't been able to say that in quite a while. Yeah, we live in a drought. Exactly. (laughs) Well, we've got a fellow Southern Californian, Dave Brock, on with us today. Hey, Dave. Hey, good morning. Thanks for inviting me. And yeah, this this stuff falling from the sky, I was really having a, a hard time figuring out what that was. I hadn't seen it before. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> any, any, any kids born in the last, you know, 12 to 14 months are probably seeing it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave has spent his entire career developing high performance organizations at places like IBM, Tektronix, and now he's president and founder of Partners in Excellence where he consults to a veritable who's who of the the Fortune 25, companies that we know nothing about, like Mm -hmm. Microsoft, Oracle, and SAP. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to take a frightening, uh, maybe it should be Halloween, but you know, it's May, a frightening look at the cost of selling. You know, when you think about all the costs packed into like hiring, training, sales activities, quotas, you're talking about a really wide amount of costs all in, right, Dave? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, too, too much when we talk about selling, selling, we really talk about, you know, how to reach and how do we engage the customer, the process of, of, of selling, the tactics and, and skills of selling. But, you know, what we have to do, particularly from a managerial level, is start looking at the business of managing the sales function the business of producing results and how effectively we're doing it and managing those critical assets for our corporations and for our customers. Yeah, well, why do you you think it is that we're so good at calculating the cost of so many things in our business, but when it comes to calculating the cost- KPIs everywhere. Yeah, we've got KPIs coming out of every angle and everything. But when it comes to calculating the cost of a salesperson or or the whole sales function in general, we kind of ignore that or shy away from that. Yeah, I I don't know what it is, you know, and actually I never became really sensitive to this until I was a general manager of of a business and I started having uh, my manufacturing manager coming into me and I started looking at how he managed his business. And I said, oh my God, you know, I need to look at all our functions this way. And so, you know, while, VPs of manufacturing kind of grow up thinking like, you know, how effectively am I managing my assets, my resources, my inventory flow, and and so on. As salespeople and sales managers, we sometimes forget about that. And part of it, I think, is 
the nature of our jobs. We get caught up in executing in front of the customer, but we forget that we're managing a business and that business has costs, it has assets that is stewards for the corporation. We really have to manage to maximum impact and effectiveness. So, you know, it really starts with the hiring process, yeah. doesn't it, Dave? I mean, you know, it, it when we talk does, about it's, hiring, it's, it's a loaded question in, in general, but, but unpack for us some of the, the staggering costs that you see there. Well, you know, it starts from, you know, most of the time when I talk to managers about hiring, you know, sometimes they're a little bit casual about it, or sometimes they're driven by desperation. They say, I have this empty headcount. I got to fill it really quickly. And so what happens is they go through and interview maybe five candidates and they settle for one of the five rather than saying, is this the right person for achieving what I want to do and, 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 and not settling. So you look at it and, you know, typically what they do is say, well, if I make a bad decision, I've lost some recruiting costs, I've lost some training costs, you know, and, you know, maybe tens of thousands of dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or so in terms of sunk, you know, salary and that kind of thing. But when you look at it, they're making a multi-million dollar decision. You know, and if we look at selling our customers something that's a multi-million dollar decision for them, every organization I've ever worked with looks at that very carefully. And so each salesperson that we're hiring is a multi-million dollar decision. We're expecting them to drive millions of dollars a year in revenue for us. So why do we treat that so casually? Why are we careless about it? Why do we say, oh, I can flip a salesperson and get somebody new? I mean, this is big money that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I do think a lot of it is driven, as you say, by desperation, because if you have you have your revenue target is X and you have eight slots that are filled and their quota is taking up so much and you have this big gap, you kind of feel desperate. I've got to get somebody in to, to plug that gap. And pressure so is high. The pressure is high. So how much do you think that is the fault of maybe the sales management or the organization that don't really understand, um, you know, that, that there's a process here and that hiring the wrong person or making a desperate decision is actually going to cost you more? I, I think it's kind of systemic in our organizations. I, I think, you know, um, you know, you get to the very top sales executive and they manage things kind of from a budgetary point of view. Are we spending the right amount of money, so on and so forth? But I really think, you know, if you look at, at what a CEO does or a VP of manufacturing or something, they really manage things from an investment point of view. A few years ago, I was working with a, a Fortune 50 high technology organization. And they were bringing us in because they said, you know, we need some stuff in terms of account penetration, blah, 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 growing our major accounts and so on. And, you know, so I started asking them some questions and kind of just as a throwaway casually, I said, well, you know, what's your voluntary involuntary turnover? Um, and they said, oh, and they said, voluntary turnover in the first year of employment of a salesperson is 72%. Wow, wow. And then, you know, I just sat, yeah, exactly, Eric. I sat back and I said, now let me figure this out. And I kind of went through a back of the envelope calculation. And I said, do you realize this is costing you a minimum of $700 million a year? And 
all of a sudden there was, you know, five minutes of stunned silence. And what it was was they were hiring okay, but they'd forgotten the onboarding process. And the onboarding process sucked. I mean, what happened was they, you know, they say, here's your card key, here's your computer, here's your territory, here's your commission plan, good luck and Godspeed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and they were bringing, actually, they were bringing really highly qualified guys in, but the guys, as they started getting going, they found they couldn't be successful and they wanted to be successful. So they were just saying, screw this. I'm going to go someplace else where I can be successful. You know, so, you know, I think somehow we get so caught up as managers and as salespeople in the momentum of day-to-day -day work that we forget to look at. We're managing a business. We're managing these multi-million dollar assets. We want to, if I'm a factory manager, I want to keep my line going. Mm. I want to keep things highly productive. As a sales manager, I want to do the same thing. I want to get my line going. I want to get that as productive as possible. I don't want to have any interruptions because when I have interruptions or downtime on it, I start losing millions of dollars. So you see that system kind of systemically going through the entire sales organization. You can look at it in kind of recruiting, then onboarding, then, you know, in the day-to-day -day life of the salesperson, what are, what, John, what are the statistics you're, you're hearing these days in terms of time available for selling? Oh, I think the time available for selling has gone gone down significantly. Obviously, because there's so many other things that are that are getting in the way of getting in the way of sales. So, you know, administration, um, even finding you know finding your right prospects, all of that. There's so many things getting in the way, and because even lead generation and marketing has gotten so much more sophisticated. Yeah, we've heard well, it dipping below thirty percent yeah. actually. Yeah, so, so now you see that's the equivalent of my machine being down or my machine not being fully productive. You know, another organization we worked with a, a, a couple of years ago, we did kind of a time and motion survey. I mean, we have every day everybody fill out, you know, how I spent my time. And we found that, again, a Fortune 500 organization, they were spending 17% on sale, direct sales-related activities. That's being preparing for the call, conducting the call, doing the follow-up. And he said, you know, 17%, what was the rest of that time being spent? You know, and, you know, it became simple. I said, I can double productivity for your organization, not by changing the way they sell, but by freeing up time for them to sell more. Yeah, and so, this yeah, is a really interesting You know, I've raised two kind of powerful anecdotes uh, from big companies, which, you know, if we're thinking about, talking to the small to medium-sized business out there, it may not be millions of dollars, right? But you're still talking about, heck, if it can happen in companies that large and that well-managed, well yeah. um, it can definitely happen in companies of a lot smaller size, but the impacts may be even greater. Well, you've got to think that you're even having less time to sell in a small company because you have even, you're wearing even more hats, right? Well, that's exactly it. The challenge in the, in the small company is because it's small, say, startups or even small, just established small companies, people wear multiple hats, you know, and that's part of the business. But then you got to start saying, you know, maybe I need to start splitting that up so I can really, again, I, I like looking at this from an investment management point of view and an asset management point of view of saying, 
am I deploying those as efficiently and as effectively as I can to get the results I need? Well, and, and that's a perfect kind of segue yeah, into talking say. about, you know, one of our favorite yep. hobby horses to ride, <laughs> which is training, right? So like, again, if you take the mindset of, say, a small business owner or even a medium-sized business that's going to really stringently look at their cost line if they're mm -hmm. buying software, if they're buying hardware, or if they're deploying you know, physical resources, they're going to scrub that five ways to Sunday. But yet when it comes to training, and this is kind of our second question yeah. in, you know, we know sales training is expensive, you know, from mm -hmm. a time sure. and a, a resources and a sunk cost perspective, if you will. Mm -hmm. How does ongoing coaching play into that overall cost of selling? Well, I, I mean, ongoing coaching is the, the really the highest leverage mm -hmm. of a sales manager's time. You know, if I look at sales training is, you know, John, I know from your background and from my own background, I know I can go in and at the end of a sales training session, they do the evaluation and everybody gets happy faces. Yes, yeah, smile sheets. You know, I can, I can do that and I can max that out really well. But then on Monday, they go back and do their jobs. Exactly. You know, and, and the problem is, is too often we look at training as an event and not part of an integrated system. So, you know, we have to have training and and we have to then have ongoing coaching and reinforcement. We've gotten to the point that for what training we do, if we don't have a commitment from management for ongoing uh, reinforcement and coaching, and we don't have a, 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 a documented plan and commitment that we measure managers on to do that, we refuse to bid on it because we say, save your money, you're just wasting it. The other part is training has to be integrated into the fabric of the business. It has to reinforce and be reinforced by the strategy. It has to reinforce and be reinforced by the tools. So as you look at a CRM system or something like that, we've got to integrate the training into what the CRM system provides for us or what the sales tools provide for us. So the biggest mistake in training we make and the, the billions of dollars literally that we lose is by treating training as an event and everybody thinking, you know, I've trained them, they'll go out and do the right thing. Well, they, I mean, and it's not bad intention on the salespeople's part, it's just the way the world works. So, so why is it always such a, a struggle? Because I've always told people, and I think you'd agree with that, that if you took a hundred CEOs and put them in a line and asked them how important is training, all of them would put their hand up and say, yes, it's very important. But then when you ask them, well, how much money are you going to spend on training this year? They'd be, oh, well, I don't know, maybe one or two would actually make a significant investment. So how do we overcome this issue where, and it seems to be even more acute for sales, where, as you say, they think, oh, well, give them a book or, or give them a course, like, yeah. you know, a two-week or a three-day workshop, and they'll be fine. Bring why in a hot it, shot. Bring in a like hot Dave. shot. Why, why is it so <laughs> when it comes to sales that they don't see that as a really important investment over the long term? You know, I've been trying to figure that out for, for, for you know, if, if I did that, you know, I'd write a book and, you know, be spending my time on a beach down in Mexico or something. Um, it's, it's, you know, we, we do tend to talk out of both sides of our mouths. And we do, I, and I, I do think that 
I think the press of everyday business and at whatever level, the, the sheer momentum of getting involved in tasks, I don't think we take the time to step back and see how all these things are interrelated and how, you know, how these investments, how critical these investments are in producing results. I also think that by, by this bad habit of treating training as a result, as, as an event, we don't get results. So, you know, so when you go up the food chain and say, I want to spend a million dollars on training, they said, well, what results did you get out of the last million dollars you spent? And, and they say, none. Right. Well, you know, who's going to approve that? So, you know, I think what we have to do is, is again, start saying, how do we make training impactful and effective and how do we make it sustainable? And, you know, frankly, I go at, at some of the training vendors and say, you own a responsibility in this. You, you know, you can collect dollars for an event, but you're not having an impact on your customers. So you should know bit if they refuse to put in the sustaining practices of coaching and, and reinforcement, if they refuse to integrate it into the, the fabric of their business, then tell them they're wasting their money and don't accept their purchase order. I mean, you'll, turn, you'll lose a few purchase orders, but over time you'll build a stronger customer base. Yeah, that's undoubtedly true for for sales consultants. But let's let's take this even a step deeper, right? Let's go into kind of the sales process itself because what you're really talking about with training kind of bolstering is determining an mm -hmm. effective use of a salesperson's time, mm -hmm. right? Do this, right. don't do that, right? So how do you go about trapping ROI, the return on investment, Dave, that you suggested earlier in sales activities? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, you have to kind of start taking some metrics of it and, and you have to start be measuring the right points, you know, and, and as, as you know, I, I know both of you feel very strongly is, is we, I think, tend to measure the wrong point. We measure quota attainment, you know, quota year to date, revenue, sales and so on and so forth. Those are all trailing indicators. They're important indicators, but they don't tell by the time we know we're off target, it's too late to fix anything. So we have to, we have to go up the food chain to see, you know, are we doing the right things today that will produce the POs and the revenue six months, a year or whatever from now. And so to go up that, to backtrack, to go from saying what generates a PO what generates that and to go back requires a lot of discipline and understanding. It requires understanding what that sales process is. It requires understanding those triggers. It requires to say that, um, I, I think I've shared with some audiences, I measure myself, the, the most important measurement in our organization is net new prospecting calls a week. Mm. My personal quota is I have to make six net new prospecting calls a week. That means I have to have a conversation with somebody like one of you. Right. Uh, and it has to be a new person. It's not you know, re-upping a, a client or something like that. If I don't have those six calls this week, I know in 15 months, I won't make my, my numbers. Yeah. And so we don't have... You know, and I measure each of, of, of uh, we have 15 guys, you know, I measure each one of them on that. You know, my guy in, in 
Grenoble has a quota of eight a week. My guy in Atlanta has a quota of 12 a week. You know, it varies because of our, our production, our win rates, our client bases, and so on. And so each person has the number, but that's the most critical thing because I know if they get that number right, you know, is, is our blended win rate in our company is 89%. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I know they can. I know they'll close roughly nine out of ten deals if they get the prospecting thing right, and we get good qualified. You know, so we have to understand the business of selling. We have to understand the business of getting a purchase order and move those things back so that we're measuring the right things. And then, and then you know, I have this kind of four quadrant thing. So we have the operational stuff that might be metrics, you know, how many calls do I make? How many prospecting calls? But then you go back and say, what are the skills and capabilities I need to do to make that prospecting call? You know, am I, do I have the right people to do that? Do Have I trained them the right way to make those six new prospecting calls a week? Am I providing them the information, the leads and so on, so that they can make those six prospecting calls a week. You know, for me to come up with my six prospecting calls five years ago took a lot of preparation and research and so on and so forth. Well, now through our marketing activities, social activities and so on and so forth, we get leads coming in so it takes much less time. But we have to look at, we have to, you know, understand that business that and work backwards and at the root of it, it's the right people, the right skills, the right training, the right tools to enable them to do the right activities, to produce the right outcomes, and then to ripple down and eventually produce purchase orders. Yeah, so what you've outlined brilliantly there is, as you say, is most people measure lagging indicators, quota performance, you know, uh, whatever you sold last month, all of that, which is great, but you can have well, no impact. Everyone thinks yeah. that measuring by quotas is great until they miss one. Yeah, but it's also, <laughs> as, as David said, it's backward looking. You can't do anything about it. What you outlined was a bunch of leading indicators. You know if you're hitting your X amount of prospecting calls or whatever, that it will have impact down the road. So how much of this uh, comes back to the fact that uh, you understand and you understand how to do this, but a lot of sales managers don't understand how to do this, right. have never been trained in this, and all they understand is lagging indicators. So is that a huge gap, as you see, that the fact that we don't really train sales managers to understand what to look for? Yeah, yeah, I, I think, well, I mean, the the most difficult job in selling these days, I think, is the first line sales manager. Agreed. Um, because the first line sales manager is kind of like, say, the the platoon sergeant or something. It's really where things get done. It's the intersection of of what is top management wanting to do, what are the top priorities, and what are the strategies, and how do I translate that into on the ground execution. And, you know, so the first line management and I mean, actually, if you look at it, the investment that we make in training first line sales managers is just appalling. Yeah. It's it's yeah. terrible. We don't. Well, one, it's a hiring issue, too, is we don't put the right person in. We usually put our top performer in and. You know, that doesn't mean they're a good sales manager. So we've got a double whammy. We've lost our top performer and we've created a, a god awful sales manager. Or, or you're dividing their attention by yeah. keeping their quota or just reducing it. Mm -hmm. So they're acting as a player coach, right? Which distracts them even yeah. further, right? 
Well, the player coach is the most thankless first line manager job in the world because, yeah, you do have, I have to go do my personal territory, but I have to coach these guys. So one is, are we selecting the right people who can be successful? And then are we equipping, just like our salespeople, are we equipping those guys with success? You know, they look at, at, you know, do they know how to coach? Do they know why to coach? Do they know what a good coaching looks like? Do they have the data and information that allows them to be data-driven in their coaching, not just feel good in it? You know, they, they do things, you know, like most managers I talk to, they schedule coaching time. Well, coaching time doesn't work because it's the first person, the first thing to be sacrificed exactly. when you're under the gun. You know, and until you in- integrate coaching into the fabric of what you do every day. So, you know, as a sales manager, I sit down and I do deal reviews every day. I do pipeline reviews, maybe weekly or or, or uh, bi-monthly or something like that. Well, you know, why don't I, you know, the business management part of a deal review, and why don't I do coaching at the same time? You know, so I get, make sure that this deal is in control, but at the same time I coach the salesperson on how to get better. So now, you know, what I've done is I've integrated all those things into the fabric of what I do every day. And I've made it uh, one more immediate, two more focused and achievable. I can get it done. Yeah. And why don't I ask you what I, what you think you did well and what you think you could have done better rather than me just telling you what you should do. Right. Well, that's, that's it. I got off earlier this morning. I was on a call with a client in Europe and we were going through, uh, it's a turn a massive turnaround that we're doing. And, you know, we were going through the, the EVP of EMEA is, is saying, well, I did the coaching reviews with my guys this afternoon. And I said, what did, what did those look like? And he said, there are status reports. And I said, okay, what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, a status report isn't a deal review. Yeah. Isn't a proper deal review. You know, a stat, you know, you just learn past history. Well, shoot, I could have, uh, you know, read Salesforce for that. Right. You know, why did I take anybody's time? Why didn't I take that, that review and start sitting down with the salesperson and say, what should we be doing? How can we how can we compress the sales cycle? How can we increase our probability of winning? How can we increase our average transaction value in this deal? You know, and start challenging them with those questions and start collaborating with them about how we do that. That's the way a deal review has to work. That's the way people learn. That's the way that people develop and that's the way you produce business. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have an impact on your salespeople and you reduce that cost of sales and that churn rate. Exactly, exactly. And then you start looking at it, you run the math on it. So if I'm a sales manager, I think, how do I know that my team is in control? How do I know that my team is going to make the numbers? So for instance, if I don't have a sales process, how do I know that each deal is in control? Well, the only way I do that is I have to inspect each deal. I have to review that. So let's say I'm a sales manager. I have a team of 10 people. And let's say each person only has 10 active deals. So that's 100 deals that they're working on. Let's say I spend 30 minutes per deal per week. So you do the math. 30 minutes times 100 turns out to be 3,000 minutes. And you do the the calculation and say, 
oh my God, <laughs> I don't have time to do that. So now you start saying, here's some other fundamentals that we don't spend some time about. Once I have a process in place, now rather than to know that I'm in control is all I have to do is inspect the process. All I have to do is look at one or two deals. And if the person is executing the deal, leveraging the process very, very well, I can on um, those two deals, I can expect that they're doing the same thing in the other eight deals. So now I have the time to do the quality of coaching and the quality of development, not only to improve their performance in those two deals, but have them take those lessons to the other eight deals that they're working on and apply them themselves. So, you know, it's all kind of logic, common sense, but you have to learn how all these things hang together. Yeah, and, right. and I think we don't, we don't do that. Well, and that's almost the statistic that should kind of scare <laughs> sales managers the most is when they start to add up their total amount of bandwidth and they realize that it's finite, mm -hmm. how they manage their time. Speaking of which, we love to do this at, at sales chats here, where we kind of flip it on its head and we start to get personal. So Dave, why don't you tell us your sales chat supercharged sales tip? What do you do to get to peak performance daily as an individual within your business? Well, I mean, one is, is you know, we have routines, you know, we block times in, in certain ways and, and um, we manage our time very well. So one is, I mentioned earlier that we know our numbers. We know the numbers that we have to hit. So my number is six. That's my key number. If I do six a week, I know I'm in control. And if mm. if Todd in Atlanta does his 12 a week, if Mark in Grenoble does his eight a week, I know we're in control. So doing that. So now that allows me to set my schedule. The, the luxury we have is we're a global business. So I realized that it's the business day somewhere in the world right. uh, all the time. So I literally, uh, I, somebody, uh, a venture capitalist is interviewing me on this and doing an article, is I start my day at 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, and by 4.30, I'm making calls while I'm catching people early mid-afternoon in Europe. Yeah. And I work the time zones. And he, what he, he thought was... What the reason he wanted this article is we were talking about eight o'clock one morning and I said, you're my seventh call already. <laughs> wow. You're my third cup of coffee and my seventh call. And he says, you know, oh, my God, you get more done in this period of time. So, you know, and what I do is is mornings I'm working the time zones doing calls during the business day. I'm in meetings, you know, either on phone calls, doing something like this or in meetings with clients. You know, midday, I take some time out to do emails, to, to do some tweets, to do a couple of other calls. And then evening, I do some other things. The other thing I do is I schedule everything. Everything goes into the calendar. So um, if I'm doing a prospecting call, that call's scheduled. I'm not, you know, it's, it's maybe a, a, my first call. But I've gone through with, with the, custom, the prospect and I've said, here's the time we're calling. Here's the agenda of what I'd like to talk about in our call. What would you like to talk about? So the huge productivity tip there is that individual comes into the meeting prepared to talk about something 
I come into the meeting prepared to talk about something. So we actually accomplish something rather than, you know, just picking up the phone and randomly dialing Eric and say, hey, how's it going? You want to go surfing or for a bike ride? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know? I'm not sure he wants though, to go surfing today, but those are great tips. And I think uh, we, we could uh, we should we should have you back for another session just to talk about about planning and preparation. But this has been fantastic, fantastic. today. You know, we've learned about the fact that you really need to calculate the cost of a turnover in your sales force. You need to invest the money in, in recruiting and doing it properly and be patient in finding the right people. You've got to invest in your sales managers and make sure they understand leading, uh, leading indicators as opposed to lagging indicators. And if you're going to invest in training, invest in ongoing training, not in event-based training. All right. Well, it's been great having you, Dave. We really appreciate oh, it's it. Such a, it's such a privilege and such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Thanks a lot, Dave. Bye, everybody. Great. Have a great weekend.